The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Open up the Bible and they read some passage out of some obscure passage out of some prophet somewhere in the Old Testament. And you re- you listen to it and you're like, "Okay." And they say, "And and we just want to pray that God blesses you today." And you're like, "Well, isn't that so nice?" I mean, these people are just the sweetest people in the world. And then they go away and they, they you know, they mark down by closed doors. This person didn't shut the door in our face. And so then two weeks later, you get another knock at the door. And they come back and they go, we want to read another verse to you. Have you had this happen? Has anybody had this happen before? Yes? Do, do, do what? <laughs> James is like, for some reason, they never knock on my door. <laughs> they have you marked down, James. They have a, a do not tread, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. This, this happened to us uh, not that long ago. A uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness couple w- come, came around, and, and they always come in pairs. And, well, actually, they always come in threes, if you notice this. There's a, there's a getaway driver, and then there's two... <laughs> There's two people that come. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is how they did. And there's two. Usually it's women that come up to the door, and the getaway driver's a man, and he's standing out by the car. And you know, the, you entertain the reading of the word or of a word on your doorstep, and and you're kind of marked as someone who's favorable to the cause. And so then they come back, and but you know, what's the alternative? So so what do you do instead? You, you open the door. Somebody wants to read the Bible, and you're like, well. It's hard to slam the door in the face of, of a person that wants to do that, right? I mean, like, that's the initial thought. And then the other part is, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they do. And when they say, when a Jehovah's Witness tells you, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, okay, I believe that too. We believe he rose from the dead. Okay, I believe that too. And you start going down the list of all the things that they believe and don't believe, and you're like, well, it's hard for me to see a difference between you and me. So then what, what do we do? And so, I, you know, I think when it comes to the study of the cult and the occult, it's not, we're not, obviously we're not trying to evangelize you into the cults and the occult. We're trying to help you understand the distinctives of each of their practices. But more than that, it's not really about studying the cults. It's really about saying, what do we believe? right? More than anything, when you stand on the doorstep with anyone that would claim to be a Christian, you have to know what you believe before you know what they believe. More than anything, it matters that you understand Christian doctrine. You understand what the Word actually has to say about uh, the cultic practices. And so, uh, maybe you have family members that are in various practices or various religions or various other things and engaged in all kinds of things and it's important i think at some, at some point to know what it is that they're practicing what it is that they're they're in but it's also going to be important in this study to understand what we believe so in this introduction we're going to lay out the distinctives between cults and the occult and then actually talk about what is underlying all of this and why it's so dangerous why that Jehovah's Witness or that Mormon or that whomever that's on your doorstep is, poses a threat to you and to your faith. 
and really, I mean, a, a, a threat really to what you believe about Jesus. So um, let's just lay some of these things out. First of all, a cult is any religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to belief or practice from those religious groups which are regarded as normative expressions of religion in our culture. So every religion has cults that are sort of offshoots of that religion. And that, that main religion would say is, a, is an offshoot. That, that definition right there is a very generic definition. One that I think most people that practice any what we would call normative religion that you would see, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, that they would agree with. That, that would define a cult in our understanding. But let's go a little bit further in that. Uh, what we mean when we say as a, as a Christian church, what we view as a cult, more specifically, they're usually identified by at least two characteristics. First, they're usually formed around a specific person or a person's misinterpretation of the Bible. So this is first and foremost what's at stake, is that typically there is an individual involved who has started this cult, and what has happened is that person has misinterpreted the Bible and has led other adherents to also misinterpret the Bible. A classic uh, example of this might be something like David Koresh, Normally, the person is viewed as the Messiah, a prophet from God, someone coming to correct uh, the misinterpretation that's happened for years. This is underlying the premise behind Mormonism. Uh, Joseph Smith is essentially doing just that. He is a person who is given a vision, quote-unquote, given a vision by God, and he is correcting the age-old interpretation of Christianity with all kinds of updated text. So he's laying out in front of you some authoritative version of a word of some kind that he's received. So if you ever meet a, a Mormon, uh, maybe on the playground, they come up there like they did with me a few weeks ago. They come up to you and they, they evangelize you on the playground while you're watching your kids or your grandkids. And they say, you know, hey, uh, the Bible's great and all. But would you want to entertain the Book of Mormon? We really think that you should read this. There's always going to be an updated, new translation, new word, alternative version of the interpretation that you've heard for so long. Um, when you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, if you notice when they read the Bible on your doorstep, they don't read the ESV or the NIV. They're not reading that. They're reading the New World Translation. It's a... This is, this is the real version, right? Now, this is translated by people who didn't know Greek or Hebrew. So you can imagine what that endeavor was like to try to translate the Bible when you don't know the languages that it's written in. Uh, and so they, they read you a copy of the, their word. And, and you say, well, that, that sounds a little off. You ask him to read John 1.1, and you know it. I think you could probably quote it with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Wait, wait, what? Did you say a God? What is, that's not the word I've heard for so long, right? But it is, it's a, it's a quote-unquote updating, or a new misinterpretation, really, of age-old Christianity. So, that leads us to the second point. It contains 
major deviations from historical Christianity. So, for you as a Christian, there are a couple of things that are really important. You have to know what your Bible actually says. There's no getting around that. You've got to actually read this thing. You've got to know it. You've got to memorize as much as you can. You've got to read it till you know it by heart. And more than that, read it until you till the things that are not this start to sound funny to you, right? That, that's where you, you want to keep going, right? You want to keep reading until all those things that the world thinks and says start to sound really peculiar to you as if they're not in here, okay? So, but what you also have to do, though, is understand how have Christians for the last 2,000 years understood this text? So I, it, it's, it's good to know your Bible, but... Are you like me? When you read it, sometimes you go, I have no idea what that paragraph is even talking about. It doesn't make sense to me at all. That's the reason we are part of a church body. That's the reason we have other Christians around us, is so that we as a group of people can read the Bible together, correcting each other and stirring each other towards righteousness and towards a proper understanding of God's Word. So we've got to know all of those things when that Jehovah's Witness or that Mormon is standing there on our doorstep, or for that matter, any relative you might meet that's in any one of these practices. So, so a cult, we're really thinking about a, typically there is a, a singular individual who kind of begun a movement that's based on a misinterpretation of historic Christianity. And so they're abusing Scripture and their adherents are following it. Now, an the occult, an occultic practice, has to do with uh, spiritual beliefs, mystical beliefs, things like that. So a study of the cults seeks to understand the various deviations from Christianity. A study of the occult involves those beliefs or practices related directly to the supernatural, the mystical, or perhaps even magical beliefs, practices, or phenomena. Okay? So we're, we're going from a singular individual who's kind of starting more or less a religion that deviates from Christianity to now going to people who are very involved in the mystical, the spiritual, very wanting to communicate with spiritual beings and things like that. Okay, So cult and occult, they are effectively, at the root, we're going to see at the end of this, at the root, they're effectively the same thing. But they definitely manifest themselves before you in two different ways. In fact, sometimes the cult will take Scripture, and it's very obvious that they're abusing or twisting the Scriptures in front of you. Sometimes the occult will utilize some of the very same things that you know and believe, but they're diving in full force into the spiritual world, right? And it may even, sometimes, the occult may manifest itself to you as someone who has it figured out. Someone who has the inside track on a lot of these things. That's certainly how they present themselves. So, this normally involves direct or even indirect communication uh, or attempts to communicate with spiritual forces. So, uh, I won't ask for for volunteers or to out yourself or anything like that, but you've probably heard of or know people who have used a Ouija board, right? To, to date, I think that 
the Ouija board, if I'm not mistaken, is produced by Parker Brothers, I believe. It, it, either Parker Brothers, Milton Bradley, it's one of the big game manufacturers, and it's one of their most popular games. It sells hundreds of thousands of copies of the board game every year. And it involves basically sitting down with a board and asking the spiritual world to communicate to you by moving a little triangle around a board. But what's interesting about it, I think, is that it presents itself to kids as a board game. So if you think about it, that's one of the more devious plots in our world. Is Here is communication with the spiritual world masquerading as a board game, which gives the connotation that this is fake, it's harmless, no big deal. Everything that your pastor is concerned about, your, your church, the church members, your grandparents, your parents, everything they're concerned about in regards to this Ouija board is, I mean, they're a part of the Stone Age. It's ridiculous. This is just a game. It's like Monopoly or whatever. In fact, it's not. It's an attempt to communicate with spiritual forces, whether the people involved in playing the game or not are really doing that or trying to have fun or whatever they're trying to do. Go ahead. Hold on to that. We're getting there. Right. Right. We're getting, we're getting there. Hold on. We're, this is just introduction, man. You've got to get there slowly, all right? Like, give me some time, man. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so normally, the purpose of the, the kind of communication they're after is for either power over or insight into the normal operations of the physical world. So what, what's what, the occult, the appeal of the occult, the way it's marketed, if you might, if I'm, mind me saying that, the way it's marketed toward you, the Christian or just the regular average Joe, is, hey, do you want to know what's really going on? Do you want to peek behind the curtain? Do you want some kind of power over illness in the world, over sickness, over death, over a number of different things? Do you want to know what God is really up? Do you realize that in this world there is a spiritual dimension beyond your, what your eyes can see that is very real? And if you had insight into it, you would have powers and authorities that you've never experienced before. Now, there's two dangers here. You could hear me say that and go, yeah, I mean, right? That's, that's a whole bunch of hooey. I would never believe that. To which the Bible would say, no, it's not. Have you ever read the passage in Acts, the seven sons of Sceva? This is one of the most chilling passages in Scripture. It's, I mean, it will shake your spine. It's so just cold and crazy. Seven sons of Sceva go out and they're casting out demons. They don't know Jesus. They've never met Jesus. And they don't know Paul. But they seem to have heard Paul's preaching. So they're casting out demons and they go to a demon-possessed man 
And they say to him, Come out of him in the name of Jesus, of whom Paul preaches. And the demon answers them, Never a good thing. The demon answers them, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, but who are you? Now that is chilling. The man commences to jump on them and beat them until the Bible says, Luke records, they are bleeding and naked. What happened to their clothes? He jumped on them with a supernatural power and beat them until they were naked and bleeding and ran from the house. So before you think this whole diving into the spiritual realm is a bunch of hooey, that's not what Christians believe. It's very real. And unless we actually give it the credit that it's due, we'll never be able to even approach this in the right way. But then there's the other side of it, giving it all the credit in the world. Right? Ex explain it, using the spiritual world to explain all the things that have gone on, all the wrong things in the world. All my sin is a result of the devil making me do it. And that's not true either. Remember, the... Demon-possessed man says, Jesus, we know. Paul, we've heard of. What's that mean? It's like there's an underground communication email chain or something that they've heard about what Paul is preaching. What that tells you, though, is the Jesus that Paul is preaching about is someone they fear. Paul is not casting out demons in his own name. Paul is casting out demons in Jesus' name. So what Christians believe is that there is a power that supersedes all of the powers in the spiritual realm, and that person is Jesus Christ. So the only reason we don't fear the spiritual world and the demons that exist there is precisely because Jesus, who has overcome them, is in us. That's it. Right? Okay. But that's what the promise is. Power over or insight into the spiritual world. When we get to UFOs, trust me, you thought, well, you're not going to cover UFOs. I am going to cover UFOs. Give me a whole week of UFOs. All right? And you're going to go, what? I didn't know that. Yep. I'm just mark it down. I've really put myself on the hook now. We're going to talk about UFOs. Um, so, <clears throat> these Two things together, the cult and the occult, constitute a growing trend in America that is away from established Christian churches and the historic teachings of the Bible, emphasizing instead self-saving efforts. This is what you have to understand, is that what they're pitching to you is not truth. What they're pitching to you is a way of trying to save yourself eternally. Everything that is not the gospel is you trying to save yourself. Look at every single religion out there that is not the gospel. This to me is one of the things, you know, in those moments, maybe you have these, maybe you don't, uh, where you have doubts. One of the things that comforts me, you know, the Bible tells us look around at creation. That's a huge comfort. 
look around at this place that you're living in. You know, it, that, should, that should clue you in. Uh, another thing is how drastically different the gospel is than literally every other religion. It presents God saving you. It presents God saving me, that I am the problem and that He saved me. And when you look around at everything else, it's do these good works, bow down this many times, say these many prayers, go to you know, synagogue or to whatever. It's in Judaism, it's in Islam, it's at the root of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, it's at the root of all the occultic practices and all the cults that are out there. Every single one of them is you trying to save yourself. You have to be so good in order for God to say, accept it. To which the question is, well, how good is good enough? And none of them can ever answer it. Well, how do I know then if what I've done is good enough? How do I know if I've checked the box? They can never answer that question. This is actually at the root of unbelief too. You, I mean, atheism probably doesn't fit in the proper definition of a cult. But if you analyze what they believe, what their quote-unquote truth is, it effectively comes down to the same kinds of things. What, what do I need to do? Well, you just got to be good. You got to leave a legacy. Da, da, da. It's the same thing, right? It's the same stuff. But you're just accepted by the, previ- the next generation to come after you. Well, yeah, what is good enough? What does that actually mean? I had a, an agnostic tell me one time, or actually a practicer of Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. Um, he said, well, basically, uh, when you die, you go stand before God, and he weighs your good deeds and your bad deeds. And whatever comes out heavier on the scale determines whether you go to heaven or hell. And I said... How heavy does a good work weigh? <laughs> and he didn't know. And I said, well, don't you think this is a crucial piece of information that we got to know? How much does a good work weigh? And how much does a bad work weigh? Because if a bad work is 10 to 1 over a good work, oh boy, I'm in trouble. But if a good work is 10 to 1 over a bad work, okay, I might stand a chance. But you can't answer that question. But all religions, all cults, all occultic practices, all boil down to a self-saving effort. I want eternal life, but I've got to work for it myself. And that is the opposite of what the gospel is telling us. God saved you. You are the problem. All right. Yeah, similar similar deal. You could even write that in there too. Be fine with me. Um, Where am I at? Okay, uh, so for us in the church, and this is what we've got to double down on and, and understand through this, these 13 weeks, the authority of Scripture serves as a criterion for measuring either truth or falsity of cultic claims. The authority of Scripture becomes the source, our, our, our source of information, how we evaluate these cults. See, the cults have capitalized on the failure of the Christian church to understand their teachings and to develop a workable method to evangelize and refute the cult adherence. So let's, let's remember here, here a couple of things. This is some mistakes that we can make. 
is we open the door to that Jehovah's Witness, that Mormon, and, you know, I give you a, a, a you know, the Jehovah's Witness are at your door, and they're going to they're gonna read a scripture. And I could tell you, here's what you could do, this is what I did. They said, okay, well, can I choose the scripture? And they said, okay, you can choose the scripture. They were very taken aback by this, because apparently no one asked them this question. And I said, John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1 1, 1 is going to boil down the difference between me and you real quick, right? We're just going to cut all the Amos and the Jeremiah's and let's just get down to brass tacks. We see Jesus differently and let's expose that right here on the porch. And so they read John 1, 1 and they read, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. And I said, that's where we disagree. Now, we went on to have about a 30-minute conversation and afterwards they left kind of frustrated with me, I think. And, um, <laughs> and they, they turned and, and about... Halfway into our conversation, the getaway driver moved from my driveway to the mailbox. So he backed his car up, and he, he moved to the mailbox. And I knew right then he's sending a message to these two, and they're noticing he's left, and they're kind of like, okay, we got to get out of here. And so they bail. Needless to say, they never came back to our house again. <laughs> I was a marked man at that point, I think. But, um, but you know, you could leave. You, they could leave, and you feel really good about what you did. Like, I just refuted a Jehovah's Witness that was on my doorstep. But, but you understand it's a tragedy that they walked away entrenched in falsehood. They walked away believing that Jesus is one of many. He is a God. But he's not God. In the flesh, come down to save us. So it's a tragedy that they walked away just as much children of hell as they were before they stepped on my doorstep. But they'd encountered a Christian pastor. And, and no matter what I did and no matter what I said, well, I don't know, to be honest with you. I stand here today, I, I don't know. Is there anything that, if I had said it differently, it might have fallen differently on their ears? I, I don't know. Uh, invite them into more conversations? I have before. I, I told the Mormons, this was probably two months ago, I was at a playground and watching the kids play, and they walked up. And I was, I was listening to something at the time, and, and I, they scared me half to death, I'll just admit. And so I was caught very much off guard, and, and, but they stood there, and I started talking with them, and um, they, they obviously, very obviously, were Mormon. They, they have a uniform, so you can kind of tell them, spot them right away, like a Chick-fil-A boy. And so... I said, uh, you know, I started telling them why I, I am not uh, going to take the Book of Mormon. And um, so I, I, I told them, you know, well, obviously you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but when you say that, you mean that he was procreated by God and a goddess. And they said, no, we don't believe that. And I said, yes, you do. And they said, no, we don't. And I said, yes, you do. So what led to about a 10-minute conversation of me educating them on what they actually believe. And so, so I said, at the end of it, you believe that you are saved by works and that Jesus is merely a God, not the God come to save us in our sin. No, we don't believe that. 
And I said, well, there's going to be a day in your Mormon church when you are hit with the reality that you believe in works righteousness and that Jesus is not the one and only God in the flesh come to save us in our sin. And when that day comes, I'm right down the road at the church, at Emmanuel Baptist Church. So just come to my office and we'll talk. So an invitation to ask them to return? Sure. Be careful on some of those things. Inviting them into your home, things like that. There, there is a, I'm more than comfortable to have a conversation on my doorstep. The Bible is pretty, pretty clear on how you're to treat people who are peddling a false gospel, which is what we're going to see, that this, this gospel is not, it's not good news, for one, and it's certainly not from God, for two. So you have to be really careful about how you deal with it. Yep. Yeah, so it, it's um, you know, it's a good thing to do. But uh, let's keep going. I want to I want to move through some of this stuff here too. Um, so now here's what you have to understand. This is what makes it so dangerous. Is within the theological structure of the cults, there's considerable truth, all of which it might be added is drawn from biblical sources. But it's so diluted with human error that it's more deadly than complete falsehood. So. You're going to notice when they read their Bible on your doorstep, it sounds eerily similar to your Bible. It may even be the exact same translation. And they're going to say, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. But it's going to be so twisted with human error that it makes it intentionally difficult for you to get to the bottom of it. Because on the surface, it's going to sound perfectly reasonable and exactly what you believe. It's designed to be that way. And it takes prying, it takes discussion, it takes knowing what questions to ask in order to get underneath that. That's why it's so dangerous to entertain some of their presentations because it's going to sound really true to you a lot of times. You're right. Yeah. Well, when we get into the cults in the subsequent weeks, we're going to discuss just a couple of things to say that can sort of put a button on, this is what I believe that is different from what you're saying. And regardless of what they then say back, that is the kind of the button that we kind of need to have. We kind of need to have a little hook that we can say, okay, this is gets down to the difference, and here's what I believe. So if you're unwilling to come this way, I'm definitely unwilling to go that way. Have a good day. 
uh, that kind of thing, right? Like, there, so there needs to be some of those things. Because you're right. Look, they train very well, right? They train, they out-train Christians on evangelism. Just flat out, they know many times the two Mormons standing next to me were the exception to the normal rule, which is they know more about their religion and their cultic practice than you probably know about Christianity and your doctrine. And so it's really important. But then the other part of that is some of them don't know and they go evangelize anyway. Right? Some of them are, you know, they they don't know all the points of doctrine, but they are bold in sharing their faith. So there's a line that we got to strike between those two, and I, I think you're right. So let's, let's keep going. Um, the modern movements toward cults and the occult suggest that there is a driving force behind these ideologies and practice, giving luster to their beliefs. Listen, the, the way that they approach false doctrine and the way that it is masquerading under, the, under partially truths, partial truths, is a very clever design that I would say is also more than mere human endeavor. All right? And it all shares some eerily common traits, right? This, suggesting that it is the design of one particular hand, right? At work behind it all. This is what's getting us down to the, the particular um, fear involved in entertaining some of these practices and things like this is that there is a driving force behind these ideologies. So since the cult systems vigorously oppose the Christian church, particularly in the realm of the nature and work of Jesus, perhaps it's not at all out of the order to suggest that this force is the same that opposed our Lord and the apostles and has consistently opposed the efforts of the Christian church the force described by the Apostle Paul as the God of this world. So, it's all part of the same playbook. Everything you'll notice, even when, yes, even when we get to UFOs. I know it sounds weird, I I get it, but even when we get to some of that, there is, the opposition is specifically an attack on Jesus and what he did. And you'll see it come to the surface in all of the practices. The cults we kind of know or have had some experience with, but the occultic practices too have that same thing. People that will communicate with demons that they don't know are demons will eventually get down to, by the way, Jesus was one of us. And you're the next one in line. We want you to save humanity. All of it will come down to that very thing, an attack on the nature and work of Christ. And you see that described throughout the Bible by the Apostle Paul. So it is against the God of this, of this world and against the domain of darkness that the Christian is in mortal combat and not against mere flesh and blood. It is with the tools of the occult that men open the door and through it proceeds the power of awesome evil. I don't mean awesome in a good way. I mean awesome in a powerful way. So there is no force on earth that can overpower Satan except for Jesus. So if you think, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go toe-to-toe with demons, or the doctrine of demons, 
under the power of the flesh, you are mistaken. In the same way the seven sons of Sceva are mistaken. So part of what empowers us, like Millie was saying, on the doorstep with the Jehovah's Witness is Christ Himself, by the work of His Spirit, to remind us of scriptures that you've long forgotten. I find this to be true almost every time I engage in a conversation with an unbeliever. Is there are verses that come to mind that I don't think I would ever have recalled before. If it was just me talking with somebody at lunch and just whatever, I don't think I ever would have that would have ever popped in my mind. But in the in the time I can remember where it is in scripture, I can remember exactly how it's quoted. I might leave five minutes later and not remember what verse that was. But for some reason, right there on the doorstep, there is a verse that comes to mind that particularly applies to this scenario. You, 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 that is not a coincidence at all. Um, so, it's against the God of this world that you're actually fighting. That's part of the reason why it's so di- difficult. That's part of the reason why when you open the door and you, you see the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon on the other side of the doorstep... And you go, they're so nice. Man. I mean, they're so pleasant. You're telling me they're going to hell? I mean, this guy, he does more for the poor than I've, than I've ever seen a Christian do. You're telling me he's going to hell? Well, yes. He does those good works for the poor because he thinks that in them he will have salvation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Colossians 1, 15 to 20. I want to, um, I'm going to read this real quick. This is what it says about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is above all earthly powers. But not just there. If you look at Ephesians 6, a passage you're probably very well familiar with, Paul tells us in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul isn't just talking about casting out demons. Of course, Paul encounters direct, overt, from the mouths of demons having conversations with him. You can see that in Philippi and in several other places that he travels around. But he's not just talking about that. He's talking about all the thoughts that he takes captive that are not subject to Christ. Every false ideology, even from the Jews, who are directly opposing Christianity. He doesn't see that as merely a battle against an ideology that just happens to be a difference of opinion. He sees that as a direct assault against Christ and Him wrestling with the domains of darkness that are at work in this world. 
So that's how you must see it. When you open the door to the Jehovah's Witness, this is not a conversation with a person with whom you have a difference of opinion. There is a spiritual entity behind this ideology. It's false, and it's trying to get other people into hell. So it's serious. All right. So what is it that we're dealing with? It's important in order to grasp a clear biblical picture of Satan, who is behind all of these cultic ideologies. Oh, I think I did just read that one, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's important to understand uh, and grasp a clear biblical picture of Satan in order to see the power and draw of cults and the occult. So we get several descriptions throughout the Old and New Testament. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, so here it is. First, he, his title of Satan or devil, which both take the same meaning. One is a Hebrew word, one is from Diablo, a Greek word. Both of them give him the title of accuser. So it suggests what he's actually doing. He is accusing, and you'll see in Revelation 12, 10, that's exactly how he's described. The accuser of our brethren, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what the angels say when he's cast out of it. So they're telling you what his job, what his role actually is, is to ensnare you in sin and accuse you both to your face and before the Lord. Second, His activity in the story of the Bible demonstrates that he delights in entrapping God's people. You can see this in not only the story in Genesis, where he encounters the man and the woman in the garden. That is what he's doing, is entrapping them in evil. But you also see it in the book of Job, where he stands there before the Lord, and he's roaming to and forth around the world, seeking whom he may devour. To which God says, have you considered my servant Job? Well, does he praise you without cause? I mean, you strike him and he'll curse you for sure. He delights in entrapping God's people in cursing God. Not only that, his appearance is in the form of truth, gaining trust by working through his representatives as a bearer of light. Why is it that that Jehovah's Witness doctrine sounds so good? And the lifestyle that they lead sounds so appealing. Well, because the God of the doctrine masquerades as a bearer of light. So it looks good, and it's designed to look good. Murder appears to be his main goal, and lying is the tool he uses to accomplish this goal. You can see that in the Genesis account, for which you're all familiar with. Did God say you can't eat of the trees in the garden? Oh, no, no, no. God said we could eat of the trees of the garden, but it's this tree that we can't eat of, and we neither can we touch it lest we die. Oh, you will surely not die. He lies about death, which is exactly what he's leading them to. He wants to kill them, and he's telling them that he's not going to kill them because what God said was a lie. He's, getting, he's twisting doctrine. That's the first time ever in the history of Scripture doctrine is twisted. Is right there in that scene between Eve and the serpent. Doctrine, the doctrine of God is twisted. And he's been twisting the doctrine ever since, and all of it leads to the murder of, of humans. 
seems to be his goal. Jesus makes that account in John 8, 44. Currently, he is making war through all of the aforementioned means on all who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the goal. This is what he is currently engaged in doing, is making war. You don't see it as war when you open your door. And there stands a person who is sharing their version of the gospel with you. You don't see that as war. At least right now. But the hope of this course is that you will. At the end, you'll see this as war. And the person who is standing there, yes, is part of the battle, but they don't even know they're part of the battle. They've been deceived into thinking they're on the good side. So it's with compassion that we engage in this war, for sure. Some people, influenced by a naturalistic worldview that only admits the reality of what can be seen or touched or heard, deny that demons exist today and maintain that belief in their reality reflects an obsolete worldview taught in the Bible and other ancient cultures. I have been... I want to... Let me get to the next slide and I want to talk about this. So, a naturalistic worldview... A biblical worldview must acknowledge that the teachings that seek to find salvation in someone or something other than Jesus Christ attempts to alter the historic Christian teaching of the person and work of Jesus Christ or attempts to find spiritual knowledge by consulting directly or indirectly with the spiritual realm is, as Timothy says, what's the word? Demonic. See, I told you I was going to get there. All right? It took me a long time, but I got there. Um, I was in Africa uh, six years ago. Six years ago this week, actually. And um, we were, with, with our team, I had the pastors, and we were in a school. We were going to this private school. And the private school told us we were actually sleeping in tents on their, on their, in their quad, basically, at this school. And the school said, we want you to go pray with our students who are beginning the school year. We want you to pray with them and uh, share the gospel with them. You can share anything you would like. So we all split up, and there were five, six, seven, somewhere around there, different schoolrooms that we went into. And I took the pastors, and we went in there, and then there were some missionaries and things like that, and they went in to spread out and get across all the schoolrooms. We shared the gospel in our schoolroom. We prayed uh, for the students. We asked if there were any questions. There were none. So we were content, and we walked outside. And as soon as we walked outside... I had a translator that was with me the entire weekend, or the entire week, and we walked outside, and I heard a kind of shriek, that a blood-curdling shriek. It was blood-curdling. That's the only way to say it. It was, it was just like from the depths of the person's toes they were screaming. And I turned to my translator, and I said, what is going on? And he said, as if it happens all the time, he was like, oh, demon possession. And I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and he said, he said, oh yeah, there's some demon possession going on over there. And I was like, well, we should probably go over there, I think. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So we took all the pastors, we went over there. We walked into, these, into the schoolroom, and there were five, I think five girls, probably around sixth grade, seventh grade, something like that. And they were, eyes were in the back of their head. They were shrieking like I've never heard anyone shriek before. And they were rolling around on the ground, like trying to hit themselves. And 
like hurt themselves or whatever, and they were sort of, you could just tell they were blacked out. There was nothing, there was nothing there. And the, there were grown men, four, on each girl, like holding her hands down so that she couldn't do damage. And they rolled around on the floor for 30 minutes or so. And eventually, each one of them, one by one, over the course of the next five, ten minutes or so, sort of just snapped to. And it was like they were back. Their eyes went back, and they were like, why am I on the floor? What, what, what happened? They see these grown men standing around them, like, what is going on? You know, obviously. And the story that our missionaries were telling us was several different classrooms. These girls were a part of several different classrooms, and... Um, our people began to pray. And as soon as they began to pray and invoke the name of Jesus, in many different classrooms, all of these girls just shouted out and hit the floor, rolled around shrieking, and this whole thing commenced. And it was at that point that I began to realize there is something amiss, I think, in American culture, especially in the culture of the church. That we tend to look at all of the things that are happening around us through a physical, materialistic worldview. And we, we don't perhaps grasp that there is a very real work of the devil that is continually going on, not only in and around us in our lives, but in the lives of others, ensnaring children at very early ages. Do you think this gender stuff that's going on is just... You think it's just happenstance? No. It's demonic ideologies. Now, there's another equal and opposite error where we can see everything in the world through that lens, which is probably a mistake some of our other brothers and sisters make overseas. There is a balance between those two things, which says, yes, Satan is very real, he is very active, and yes, you have encountered him and his ideology at some point in your life. And there's a chance that for some of you, right now, he is enticing. And he's pulling in through a myriad of sources. I think the plague of pornography on men and women across our culture is merely happenstance? No. It is demonic temptation. And its access to our children is nothing more than demonic. And we as a church body have to engage it on those grounds and understand what we're actually battling against. It's not materialism. If it was, prayer would not work. Because what is that? We're doing spiritual war in prayer over a, the God of this world who is very much spiritual. Questions? Quickly? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Timothy. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Know what it means. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's nothing, no course, no 13 weeks that's ever going to replace knowing your Bible. So my, my hope is that the cult and the occult is going to serve as a foil for us as we read our, our Bibles. We're going to expose Christian doctrine and what we believe as Christians here so that it shines a, a big light on the mistakes, the sin, the error that the cults and the occult are making. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for its truth in our lives, and we're grateful that we have it as a, as a, a, a help to us, a, a, a word that is going to correct us and train us in righteousness and equip us when we're on the doorstep with various individuals. We pray that you would give us boldness, yes, that you would bring to mind all the scriptures we know at those moments that we need them. We pray that we would trust in you. We pray for the boldness to be able to say to the deceitful works of darkness and the doctrines that they represent that that is not true and that we would be able to stand confidently on your word at the same time that we would be humble and admit what we don't know and seek out the answers in your word from trusted brothers and sisters, from pastors, from teachers, from people who believe and know the Scriptures, and who can encourage us, we pray. I pray that through this, we would come to see the world around us the way we should see it, as a battle, not of flesh and blood, but spiritual forces currently at work in this present darkness. We pray that you would give us eyes to see that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.